You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. We're back in Daniel chapter 5 today, where we've been for the past few weeks. And today, I really want you to think about one question, and that is, how important is prophecy? We kind of got into this just a little bit at the very end of last week's episode, and we're going to really harp on this question today because for the Christian, the study of prophecy is so important. You can't stress it enough. It is a huge portion of God's word that he's given to us, and he's given us this much prophecy on purpose for a reason. It's because it is in prophecy that we find our hope for the future, that we that we can really ground our sense of reality. Because we, unlike the king, unlike Darius here in this chapter, or I'm sorry, unlike um, Belshazzar is the king that we're looking at here at the beginning. Unlike him, our hope and our joy is not found in living it up right now. It's not, our hearts are not rooted in this present life like the hearts of the lost are because see they really have no future hope they're living in defiance of god in this life and we're going to see that today as we read the end of this chapter but for the saved it's a different story see our our reality is rooted in the future not in this life and we get comfort we get hope when we study prophecy because that is for us a necessary reality check. We are challenged to keep our eyes on eternity and not on the prosperity of the wicked that we see around us in this life. So we're going to pick up today in Daniel chapter 5, verse 17. This is Daniel's response to King Belshazzar, who is terrified at this point. Remember, the feast has come to a grinding halt. It's gone south very quickly. And his whole countenance and demeanor and his thoughts have all changed. They've all taken a 180 degree turn. And that's the condition of the lost when confronted with reality, with the impending doom of their state of animosity towards God. That reality strikes fear into their hearts. So now we're going to see Daniel has been called and he's going to point out the king's folly. Now, remember, the king didn't first turn to Daniel. He turned to the wrong people, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. He tried to um, remain some or retain some kind of control over the situation by offering a reward to the person who would interpret the writing on the wall by God's hand. But, of course, no one could. None of the people that he looked to could provide him the answers that he wanted could give him real truth and of course we know that that would happen because we've seen that already happen before in the book of Daniel Um, and so now the king is truly hopeless because of his his people that he had confidence in his counselors because they fell short they let him down now he has no hope and so in the midst of this party gone south the queen comes up to Belshazzar and tells him about Daniel who served Nebuchadnezzar. And I find it interesting that he was still known by his Hebrew name 
Daniel. And then she calls him by his Babylonian name that was given to him. But then Daniel comes in. Now we're going to pick up in verse 17. And Daniel starts out with a personal message to the king. And in fact, he doesn't even get to the meaning of this dream until verse 25. So verses 17 all the way through 24. This is just Daniel's personal message to the king. It's a very bold and courageous move. So we read, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beasts. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. So Daniel has not even gotten into the interpretation, which is what he was called for, but he takes it upon himself to call out the king for his wickedness, and he shows that this king had not humbled himself and repented as Nebuchadnezzar had. Um, it could be easy for us to look at this situation with Belshazzar and think, you know, well, God gave Nebuchadnezzar so many chances, and it seems as though Belshazzar, he gets, you know, God allows him to be conquered here this first chance. You know, it almost seems like God didn't give him a chance to repent. But that's not the case because he clearly knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and he chose anyway to take the instruments from the house of God, from Israel, and to use them in his drunken celebration. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was having this whole celebration as an affront to God, to worship his gods, and not to give God glory. And so God was going to display his power in a very mighty way by bringing down this splendid, impressive Babylonian empire this very night. And in fact, the the Persian troops were digging their way into the capital city at the same time the king was throwing his magnificent party. Talk about God's timing. God's timing is infallible. 
It's perfect. And so God knew exactly what was going on. He knew this king's heart. And he had given him opportunities to repent, just like Nebuchadnezzar had. But he didn't. And this king, in his folly, still refuses. We're going to see here in a few verses. He still, in his foolish stubbornness, refuses to repent and give God glory. But now we'll see the actual interpretation of the dream here in verse 25. Daniel continues, And this is the writing that was written. Min, min, tikal ufarsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Min, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So that's the interpretation. Daniel very plainly uh, translates what was written on the wall for the king. Obviously, he interprets uh, the meaning of it exactly how it happens. And even with the emphasis with some of the words repeated and even given the names of the two empires that are about to conquer Babylon. But then verse 29, this is where we see the king's heart does not change. Verse 29, then commanded Belshazzar and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. So the king, after given this interpretation, he arrays Daniel in a scarlet robe and puts a gold chain about him and declares him to be the third ruler in his great kingdom. That was the last act of defiance against God that Belshazzar ever committed. And how utterly foolish that would look. How absolutely dumb is it that Daniel, in a moment when an enemy is invading this kingdom, Daniel is proclaimed the third ruler in the kingdom. When it's literally ending right then. Like they're, they're being invaded by the enemy. God already said that his days are over. That he's been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And the king still attempts to reward Daniel by promoting him in this kingdom. That is over. The kingdom has gone under. It's, it's done. He's, he's been conquered. And uh, just the, the foolish image of Daniel standing there arrayed in this gold chain and, and a scarlet robe while the country is conquered. And Daniel even said at the beginning, he said, you can keep your rewards, you know, but the king still in his defiance, he is determined that God is not true and that he is going to do what he wants to do. But then we read to the believer what is such an encouraging truth in verses 30 and 31. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. What does this tell us? This tells us how certain God's word is. You know, we can rest assured, no matter how bad things around us get, no matter how defiant some people are against God, we can have confidence that what God says 
will always come to pass. And let's not let earthly things, whether that be money, success, fame, prosperity, health, or pool, or whatever we might seek after, let's not let any of those earthly things distract us from the real reality of eternity. See, it's not about this life. This life is only about following God because we know that what he pronounces in his word will come to pass and heaven and earth will pass away, but God and his kingdom will remain forever. That's the true reality. And I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 73, um, which really is such a beautiful truth. It's a Psalm of Asaph. And he begins by saying, In verses 1 and 2, he says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. And he continues, For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes through, basically, his story of looking at the wicked and how they seem to prosper, how they seem to always have joy. But then his focus shifted back onto the Lord, and he remembered that the wicked will receive the due reward for their works. And that's, that's what this reminds me of. You know, for us, don't live for the here and now. Don't have our focus on the temporary prosperity of the wicked. We need to have a reality check. Give yourself a reality check about what really matters. And then get the most out of a meaningful study of prophecy. Prophecy in God's word, it's here for us, the believers. It's not here for the lost. It's to encourage us and give us hope that what we live for is not here and now, it's future. So let that future and the reality and the certainty of God's word that's revealed to us in prophecy be the motivation and the hope for this life. We'll pick up in chapter 6 starting next week. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.